This morning we continue our series in 1 Corinthians as we celebrate the gospel as God's solution for all of life. This week we discover the power of love displayed in laying down our rights to build others up. Please join us in reading 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. Grass the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, thank you all, the Cook family. Y'all are, uh, are all witnessing uh, something of a, a little personal uh, dialogue I have with those two boys whenever I'm in here. I love preaching in here. I'm in here, you know, Bob and I switch up probably seven, eight times a year, but uh, these guys think that I fall asleep like their grandfather during the service. And so I said, just to prove you wrong, you can come sit at the front and read for us today. So good job. And by the way, Dirk, we'll be watching you to make sure you don't fall asleep. Um, just kidding. If you have a Bible, please keep them open or open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to walk through the whole passage today, the whole chapter, or most of it. Uh, and I know what you're seeing. You know what you're saying? Oh, this is like old hat. It's, it's a... It's a re refresh for you. You've been studying Paul's use of his discussion on food offered to idols. You've been studying it all weekend, I know. So it, it just, just bear with me, okay? Uh, we are going to excitingly use uh, this issue of food sacrificed to idols as a doorway for us to walk through and considering uh, not only how Christ has loved us, but also how we love one another in building up the body. Let me warn you, we're going to travel through some pretty comfortable terrain. And you may not see it, but there's going to be a, a yellow sign that says sharp turn. And we're going to move towards application. And if you're anything like last service, it gets a little bit uncomfortable when the gospel of Jesus Christ starts moving into our hearts and spiritual formation. So, let's be sure to go to the Lord of the Word together in prayer before we study the Word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we are here to worship you. And we ask that your Spirit would ambush us in this time. Our desire is to know you and your love more fully so that we can follow you and share your love more faithfully, that your kingdom might grow in and through our life and our love more fruitfully, that you would get glory, have mercy to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to set the context, to remind you, we are studying 1 Corinthians uh, this semester, and we're uh, using the, the doorway of the Corinthian problems. They were a dysfunctional church 
so we should feel right at home, right? And it is very much uh, like listening to a phone conversation. Paul is so pastoral. He's so contextualized. Reading 1 Corinthians, it's like listening to somebody on the phone and only hearing one side of the conversation. So it requires, and, and issues like what we're going to talk about today, it requires some intentionality in understanding the context of what he's writing. So put simply, the sixth problem that we're going to study is this. There were some Corinthian Christians who were eating food that was offered to idols. And they did it in a way that didn't build up their neighbors. In fact, they were doing it in a way, ways that broke them down by causing a stumbling block that they would violate their con conscience. The gospel solution, the reality that God's, as a person, his work in Jesus Christ, his unconditional steadfast love, his bodily death in our place, his bodily resurrection from the grave, the reality that he's ascended into heaven, given us his spirit, the gospel solution for us is that seeing the way that God loved us in Christ, that he laid down his rights for us, frees us to love one another, building each other up by laying down our rights for other people, Christian family, brothers and sisters, to live. Christ died uh, so that we could have life, and in the same way, we die to ourselves so life can be uh, grown in the life of the body of Christ. I want to give you an example uh, some of you have read a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. It's by a guy named Brendan Manning. And he has a powerful story uh, of when he first saw the gospel. Uh, he tells his story this way. Uh, he was growing up with a friend of his named Ray. The two of them, Ray and Brennan, they did everything together. If you can imagine, they went to school together. They bought their first car together. They say that they double dated in that car together. Uh, they ended up enlisting in the army together. They went to boot camp together. And then they were deployed to Korea for the Korean War to fight together. And the story is that when they were in the trenches, in a foxhole together, Brennan was sharing stories of the past. He's quite a storyteller. He was telling stories and about their old days when they grew up in Brooklyn. And Ray was listening, smiling, laughing, and eating a candy bar. As Brennan told stories, a grenade, a live grenade, was thrown into their foxhole. Ray looked at the grenade. He looked at his friend Brennan. He smiled, dropped his candy bar, and threw himself on top of the grenade. When the grenade exploded, Ray lost his life, and Brennan's life was saved. This is true. It's a powerful picture of how God has loved us and the opportunity that we have to love one another, to lay down our rights so that other people can live. Needless to say, Brennan's life was transformed uh, and this picture is an invitation for us through the work of Christ. 
So your outline, or my outline, is in your bulletin. You'll see it here. It's on the bottom of this page and the top of another page. Feel free to follow along. We're going to clip through these uh, verses pretty quickly, slowly at first, but we're going to speed up uh, once we get towards the end. So you'll know when we're getting ready to hit that quick turn. All right, are you ready? Let's look first. Love builds up and knowledge puffs up. You see, in Corinth, it's important for us to understand this, it was accepted social practice for people to eat meals and to have food and meat in temples that were idolatrous. All right, They worshipped idols in these temples uh, and people would eat there. It was so embedded in the social fabric that this was a normal thing, eating meat offered to idols. Now, before you make assumptions, all right, our giving is doing fine. This sermon is not sponsored by Viatrix Meat Market, okay? So don't, don't go jump into conclusions, all right, or any meat market. This is a real issue in Corinth, and it's an opportunity for us to not only know the love of God more through Christ, but to show the love of God more. Here's the reality. It was so pervasive in the culture of Corinth that if you abstained from meat in any way, you would be outcast socially. It's like a choice to move into isolation and away from community. It was also, if you were poor in Corinth, it may be one of your only opportunities to actually eat some good protein and some meat is by going to these uh, meals that were offered and set out in the pagan temples. Now, uh, we see through this issue the diversity of the church of Corinth. We're going to discuss how there were formerly Jewish Christians and how there were Gentile Christians. There's a diversity of ethnicity. There's also a diversity of socioeconomic status that we're going to discover. Okay, but just to remind you, the issue that Paul's addressing of food being, uh, eating food and partaking of food offered to idols is a doorway for us. We're going to walk through it and follow the path. Look down at your text. Right at the beginning, we see now, concerning food offered to idols. Paul uses this grammatical marker that is changing a focus of a topic. This topic actually takes us all the way uh, through chapter 8 and, uh, and chapter 9. We're going to Pick it up from a different angle next week. Um, but this, this is a, it's a sixth issue that Paul has addressed. Uh, and, and he could have begun anywhere. You know, Paul, he was a great arguer. He was a great uh, in rhetoric. He could have begun an argument about why it's okay for eating food. You know, in Christ, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 4, you know, everything's made good in Christ. He could have had all kinds of arguments from Peter in Acts 10 uh, and, and tried to bring peace to an argument, but he doesn't. He actually comes to the doorway of Christian accommodation. He seeks to help us to know the love of Christ more so that we can show the love of Christ more. And this is the first thing we see. You see the next point here, bulletin, is that love flows from God knowing us. Look down at the end of verse 3, the last part uh, of the reading this morning. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You see, if we want to build up the body, 
to have a, a beloved community that is unique among all communities in the whole world, then we must sink our anchor in the headwaters of steadfast love. God himself is love, and rather than our relationship with him, beginning with our knowledge of him, beginning with our study of him, beginning with our work for him, we begin relationship with him by being fully known by him and loved by him. In the Christian religion, our faith never begins with what we do for God or what we know about God. It always begins with what God has done for us and what we know about him. And if we don't know his love and how Christ laid down his rights for us, then we will never show his love by laying down our rights for others. All through scripture, this paradigm is unpacked. Most succinctly, if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 John 3, 16. This is what John says in his epistle to the early church. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This direct correlation, the, the implication of, of being known by God, of being loved by God, uh, tied just explicitly to, to knowing the people we live with and love and the body of Christ and showing that love. It's all through. But it comes from this fountainhead. Now, and I'm making you a little uncomfortable. It's a little bit of a teaser here. It comes from being fully seen and fully known by God. And we don't like that. I know it's not a table for one. I'm not reliving my middle school awkward days when I say, I don't want to be fully known. I don't want you to know everything I think about. I don't want you to know every way I spend my time. I don't want you to know about every way that I spend my money. I don't want that. You know why? Because I'm afraid that if you fully know me and you fully see me, then you're going to change your opinion about me, right? Some of you are laughing. You're like, absolutely they will. <laughs> I'm a Corinthian in search of Corinthians. But here's the truth. We like to hide like the woman at the well. You remember that story in John chapter 4? She went to the well in the middle of the day against all social customs and practices. Why? Because she was living in sin. Jesus went out of his way. He went into a region that, he should, that according to custom, he shouldn't have gone into Samaria. He talked to somebody he shouldn't have talked to, a woman. He was a Jewish man. She was considered unclean as a Samaritan. Jesus fully saw her. He says to her, hey, look, I know you're not married, but the guy you're living with, he's not your husband, and you've been married five times. Jesus reveals that he fully sees, and you know what he does? He fully loves. And that love transformed. It transformed the woman in Samaria, but it also transforms us today. I have tremendous privileges of walking with people in their story and, and applying the gospel on deep levels of hearts and, and seeing how the unconditional love of God shown in Christ can lead to personal transformation. And this week I was just humbled by a guy who's been hiding for years. Something that happened in his past he had never told anybody. Decades. And when he came out in the light, and he embraced the, the fully, full sight of God. 
He experienced the love of God. It was like he walked out of a cage of shame and lived freedom for the first time. I'm telling you, this reality is powerful. God fully sees you, and he loves you. This is where the Christian journey begins, but Paul continues. Not only does love flow from God, but learning grows from us knowing God. Now, we can't get the order wrong. We cannot get the the idea in our heads that our love for God begins with our knowledge of God. That's part of it, but the equation begins with the Holy Spirit touching our hearts. We have to be moved upon by God himself to even have a hunger in our hearts awakened to know God more. Uh, we, we, we celebrate the way that Spirit moves us into the light, living in God's plain sight to know his love, and, and that moves us to a place of knowing. And God gets the glory for everything. Our, our church, you know, we're, we're taking some steps. We're trying to be intentional about offering ways to study theology, to know God more, and through that to know ourselves, his work, and understand our role in the world. We're excited about that. On Wednesday nights, we've got more than 40, 20, and 30-year-olds that come to study theology, right? What? (laughs) Why? Because the Spirit has moved upon their hearts. To God be the glory. It always begins with God. And our learning grows from us knowing God as love. You see, if it's just about knowledge, Paul says this in verse 2. This knowledge puffs up. This word occurs six times in this letter puffing up. And every time it communicates this exaggerated sense of yourself, right? Regarding yourself as superior. And knowledge has this way, if it's just knowledge alone, we have this leaning in our human hearts to become self-righteous, to feel superior. And trust me, as a Presbyterian pastor, I know this temptation. Knowledge puffs up. And that arrogance will break up if it's not first started by love that builds up. The word build up here, it's it's this Greek word that is uh, used for construction. Our city, we've got construction happening all over the place. It's a very easy object lesson to know that construction is taking raw materials and it's building something that wasn't there before for the purpose uh, of having a better place. Well, Paul is using this ordinary construction term to talk about the reconstruction that happens in the human heart and the the body of Christ together when we understand and know that we're fully seen and loved and that we want to show that love to others. You see, knowledge in and of itself uh, can be proud. I know. I want to know more. I know more than you. It can even be power. But wisdom, you know wisdom. Wisdom realizes what? You actually don't know anything. There's this creature-creator distinction, and we need God's revelation. We fear him above all else. It's a humility that has a heart touched by grace. And love has this permanent effect when it, it leads knowledge that builds up eternally. The reconstruction that happens in in relationships and and in marriages and in friendships and in communities and churches and Bible studies and small groups, it's this eternal reconstruction that is intentionally developed by Christians who decide to love. We are influenced by the Enlightenment. 
With Immanuel Kant, we like to say, to think is to exist. And we like empirical realities that we can know and study and test. But the reality of, of, of Christianity is not that you know, but that you are known. And that you are loved. And therefore, you exist to show love. You see, in the Christian journey, our, our pilgrimage of life, it's, it's love over and above knowledge that is our guide. Now, Paul goes right at these Corinthian Christians, diagnosing what they know. You see in verse 4, uh, he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And he, and he goes after Jewish background Christians in these first two sections. You can go to places like Isaiah 44, where the prophet actually mocks people who make idols, who worship idols. Idols are, are made by man. How can the world can you worship them? And Jewish background Christians knew that idols are no God alone. There's only one God. They are not even a real God. They're a mockery. And the next thing they knew is that God is one. There are no other gods. And you can go from Isaiah 44 to Isaiah 45, and it's really clear, and there's some really cool ways that we can study uh, what Paul was studying in his application to Corinthian church. But really, just for convenience, we go back to places that are familiar, like Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Every Jewish uh, person would have known it, memorized it at a young age. The Lord, the Lord your God is one. There are no other gods. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, and, and we go to places like Exodus 20, where after uh, God celebrates his redemption of Israel from Egypt, he explains the relationship, begins with having no other gods before him. Why? There are no other gods. So the Jewish background Christians knew that. In verses 5 to 6, it's totally clear. Verse 6, yet there is for us just one God, the Father from whom all things and from for all things exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You read that and you say, that sounds pretty simple, Mitchell. I don't know why that would be complicated. Here's why it's complicated. What also the Corinthian church knew is that it wasn't just Jews that had come to Christ. Paul began his missionary activity in Corinth by preaching in the synagogue, but he didn't stop there. There were lots of pagans that started coming to Christ, and they had gone to the temple of Apollos. They had gone to temples of idols and false gods, and they had given their lives, believing that, that if they partook in these offerings and sacrifices, that their life would be full and prosperous and wonderful, and it wasn't. But they had come to Christ, and they, they had a hard time in their conscience with other Christians that were comfortable eating in temples. This is exactly what he says in verse 7. Look at this. However, not all possess this knowledge. Some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. You see? The strong faith... The strong conscience are people who know the word, know the history of the faith, know the reality that there's no other God but one. But the weak ones, the, the, the newer, younger converts, they have, they, have a, they have a more sensitive conscience. There's a conflict between 
how they once lived and the freedom that they now have in Christ. So, that's what the Corinthians knew. What did they forget? Well, they forgot this, exactly where the letter starts. That Christ saved everyone from their wretchedness, their sin, and their struggle. That every person in there, you can go to places like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31, Paul describes the whole church as lowly and despised. It's why he came to Corinth with a simple gospel message. Jesus Christ in him crucified. God's love meets people where they're at and he lifts us. He accepts us where we are, but he loves us enough to never leave us the same. They also forgot that Christian love is likewise in that pattern, that love meets people where we find them and and even in their weakness, as God loves us, we are to love and strengthen them. And here's what else they forgot, that the right answer The right theology without love is wrong in the Christian community. This is why when we get to the last Sunday of October, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous chapters. And Paul directly diagnoses this. All the knowledge, all the wonders, all the power, all the gifts. If you have all these things without love, you're a noisy gong and it's worthless. So Paul is going to consistently remind them of this truth. So we see that love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. So how does love build up? This is where we'll land the plane. And I had somebody after the first service challenge me on this point. You can be fully right and fully wrong at the same time. You can have the right answer and the right knowledge, and you can be wrong in how you apply it and how you love it. A simple illustration is this. If you're taking a test and you steal the answer from your neighbor, you can have the right answer, but you do it in a wrong, unethical way. Likewise, we can know about God. We can have the right answers, but if we are not loving, then we are not strengthening the weak. How do we strengthen the weak? The first thing is that there's two subpoints here, real quick. We support, we support. <laughs> yeah, we support others by avoiding stumbling blocks. So all through this series, these issues have really been hitting home with folks. It's been pretty exciting watching how the spirit has stirred hearts. Here's a sign. We're going to go right here. Uh, but this one seems a little culturally distant. Reminder, it's a doorway for for application. Uh, Rather than thinking about avoiding stumbling blocks with food offered to idols, I want to hit something that's a little closer to home. You've heard me say this, that I come from a family of alcoholics. I've been to treatment. Uh, It's part of my story. I don't hide it. I'm a Corinthian in search of Corinthians. But our culture has a level of alcohol abuse that frankly is unacceptable. We have a permissively alcoholic culture. Now, we have to ask the question, can Christians drink and have a good conscience? Absolutely. I mean, Paul actually commands it in one of his letters to satisfy the aching belly, have a glass of wine. What? But can we 
drink and exercise that right in a way that hurts the conscience of somebody? Or it actually makes them stumble? The answer is absolutely yes. You see, I come from an affluent culture like ours. In our family growing up, we were on the cover of Christian Family Magazine. We looked great. Most people didn't know that my father was a practicing alcoholic, that the marriage, his marriage to my mom would crumble because of the alcoholism. And so whenever they were out, Christian brothers and sisters, very permissive in exercising their right to drink without realizing that they were violating the conscience of weaker Christians. This happens all over the place. And we see marriages that are in trouble, families that are in financial trouble, friendships that are fractured, social fabric that is ripped apart because of food offered to idols. I mean, alcohol that is overly consumed. And the Christian ethic, because Christ has loved us this way, is to actually not only know his love on a deep level, but to show his love on a deep level by being aware of what might hurt the conscience of somebody around us or what might cause a stumbling block to someone. And we can move past alcohol. Let's take a deep breath and move to something a little less in our face, something like language. You know, the mature Christian, the stronger Christian knows that it's really the heart of how you say something that matters. But younger Christians, those that are weaker in the faith, they might hear a coarse joke or they might hear a word that is used uh, in a joking way that's just a, just a little vulgar. They might hear what you know, some people call locker room talk and it might actually hurt their conscience or even cause them to stumble. And there's a whole connection to Romans 14 we don't have time to unpack. But it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be language or, are you ready for this one? Our finances. I mentioned that Corinth, the church in Corinth was social economic diverse. And you can imagine that Christians that have the right and the opportunity to use the resources that God has given them for nice things, not being aware that they may be causing a brother or sister to stumble. The level of debt in our country and our community is fueled by a lack of awareness among the body of Christ and how to love in a way that doesn't make people stumble. Do you believe that? Now, supporting others by avoiding stumbling blocks, it's, it's about more than just a a to-do or to-not-to-do list. It's, it's about a greater awareness. We've, we've talked about how the gospel, it gives us a greater sense of all, a sense of, of who God is. Uh, it gives us a greater sense of what he's done in Christ. And uh, the reality of all, when, when you see a sunrise or when you see the unbelievable stars in a totally dark night or you meet a grandchild for the first time, uh, or you have your own child for the first time, or your brother or sister has a child for the first time, or you go somewhere that's just exceptionally beautiful. 
You see mountain ranges. You hear birds. There's this sense of wonder and awe. It actually gives us a humility, realizing that the world's not about us. And in a strange way, according to the science of all by the John Templeton Foundation, it actually draws us closer together. And so when we have a deeper sense of awe and wonder of who God is and what he does, we realize, are you ready? Greater truths. Are you ready for this? Here's the reality. The greater truth of the gospel, that when we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body, we're not loving Jesus. To sin against our brother and sister in Christ is to sin against Jesus. We're not our own, Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6. We've been bought with a price. This is the body of Christ. So knowing the love of God and showing it is paramount. You're going to hear, this is a Presbyterian pastor confessing, all right? Love is greater than learning. Conscience is greater than choice. In the family of God, this is an American talking, the family of God is greater than the freedoms that we have the right to exercise. So the, the, the last thing that we see is that we, we strengthen others by laying down your rights to serve as, as Christ loved you. We support others by avoiding setting stumbling blocks, but we also strengthen others by laying down our rights. This is the climax of, of Paul's application of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus smiled. He dropped not a candy bar like Ray did. He dropped out of heaven and he took the nature of man. He became obedient to death so that he could throw his life on the grenade of God's wrath against sin. He threw himself on the curse so that everybody who has faith in him can know the love of God and experience the blessings of God. You see, Jesus was torn down so that we could be reconstructed and built up. Jesus laid down his rights in order that you might have gospel rights in Christ. We have to know Christ in this way so that we can love as he's loved us. But we also must take time to know one another in this way. We have to grow in the godliness of asking questions to see if our actions are actually violating a weaker brother and sister's conscience. We have the opportunity in this, this great epic of life's redemptive story to carry one another to glory. Uh, as I've read and studied this this week, uh, past couple of weeks, um, I, I can't help but to think of uh, J.R. Tolkien in, in, in the last installment of the Lord of the Rings series, The Return of the King, one of the last scenes, you remember it, uh, Bilbo has to carry the ring. He's the only one that can carry the ring up to Mount Doom. And, and if he can put the ring in Mount Doom, and then all, you know, Sauron's, everything's bad and sad becomes untrue and evil's overthrown. It's this grand epic narrative and, and Bilbo is devastated. He, he's the only one that can carry the ring, but he can't carry it to the top of Mount Doom. And his brother, his friend, his fellow hobbit, he says this great line. He says, Bilbo, I cannot carry the ring, but I can carry you. I can carry you. Love builds up. 
Love cares about the conscience of others. Love carries because Christ has loved us. Christ has carried us. Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ has set us apart to be a unique community. And it begins and ends with God's steadfast covenant love for you and flowing through you to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy shown to us through Christ. We want to know your love in this way. I pray that you'd overwhelm us with your work, that we might truly love as you've loved us. Teach us what it means in the confusion of, of, of this passage and the context and the application. Holy Spirit, would you work out a perfect order in our hearts so that we can walk out what it means to know to be known by you and to love like you. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.